Hello again, fight fans. Welcome to episode number 246 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero, for Ring Magazine, RingTV.com, and of course, the Ring Digital YouTube channel, where you are watching me live right now. This is TNC 246 for the week of December 5th. It's been a few weeks, a few weeks off, dealing with some things, uh, my personal life uh, with my family, and... um, it's good to be back. It's good to be back. So first of all, I want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart to all of you guys out there who have uh, just sent me messages, DMs, words of encouragement. Um, several of you checked in on me multiple times uh, on different platforms, and I heard from people all throughout the boxing community, uh, you know, fans of the sport, people who work in the sport, fighters. It, it's been awesome. For those of you who don't know, I lost my brother Anthony um, earlier this month, and it's it's been a difficult time. He was my, uh, as I said many times recently, he, he was my best friend. So it, it's been a tough time for me and my family. Uh, we just had the Thanksgiving holiday, of course. And uh, that was a tough one. You know, everybody, you know, being together uh, minus one person, that was definitely uh, a difficult time. And we got Christmas coming up and we got New Year's. So all these things are, are going to be difficult. But, um, you know, I figured the best thing for me is to try to get back to the grind. And what's what's interesting is like emotionally I'm feeling better. I mean, every single day is a little bit easier feeling a little better on that count. But um, I still feel kind of aloof and a little, it's difficult to concentrate and focus on things. Um, so apologies ahead of time if I'm not 100% myself in the coming weeks and months as we get the show uh, rolling again. Just bear with me, guys. I know you will. You guys are always great about that and uh, working with me. Um, but, um, you know, it, the night I found out about my brother, I was actually wrapping up two articles for the next issue of Ring Magazine. It was really, really difficult to finish those pieces. I'm so glad we have great editors at Ring Magazine because uh, I know that there was probably it was probably all over the place. But uh, I haven't written a word since. I have a new assignment for an upcoming issue that I have to get started on this week, and I think I'm ready now. I'm ready to start with the show. Uh, we won't have a guest this week, and we might not have a guest for a few weeks because I'm working on a new addition to the show where we can do video interviews live. So, I mean, Zoom is the big new thing, right? So um, we're going to have what we're working on right now, guys, is having like live Zoom video interviews. And then um, we'd still take calls and everything from you guys after that. But you wouldn't just be looking at me during an interview with a fighter or whoever it is, you'd see them as well. It kind of ping back and forth the image uh, on Zoom. So we're working on that right now. And I kind of want to hold off on bringing some guests on before I have that set up. So we're just kind of like testing it out. We were really, really close. And then this tragedy happened with my family and that really set us back on all that. They just, you know, went to the back burner. But man, I have some awesome guests that we had lined up and um, I just wanted to wait until after we got that. Um, so anyway, guys, that's coming down the pike. Okay. But um, let's, uh, let's get on to boxing. Hopefully uh, the levels sound cool. If, you, if it's too low or too high, let me know guys. 
uh, as I'm trying to adjust the levels here as I'm talking to you. So let me know if I need to turn anything up or down, okay? But let's jump right into news and notes. we got a lot of stuff to cover and catch up on. Um, first of all, 2020 USA Boxing National Championships are officially delayed due to COVID concerns. So... Some people like this decision. Some people hate it. For me, I'm kind of in the middle on it. I understand both sides, but I just feel for the kids because, you know, most amateur boxing, particularly here in the United States anyway, is is kids. And it's it's kids that have been working their butt off all year trying to get to the nationals. And this is their dream. They might have visions on going pro in 2021. This is delaying that for some of these kids. <clears throat> Most of the kids who box here in the United States uh, don't come from money and privilege. You know, they're coming from working class backgrounds. So the, the way I see it, man, I think they should have went forward with it. That's just me. I know that my opinion won't be popular with some of you because COVID is real. and It is affecting millions of people's lives. I understand that. But based on everything we know about it, and the uh, the fact that it doesn't affect young people and healthy people, overwhelmingly, the, the majority of the time, it doesn't affect them. And we know how to create bubbles and all this kind of stuff now. We, we have protocols in place. It's not foolproof, but it's pretty damn close, right? I mean, we just had a huge fight card in Los Angeles last weekend, and there was a bubble set up. <clears throat> LA is one of the biggest cities in the world. You know what I'm saying? And if they could do it there, they could do the national championships for these kids who work their butts off. I, I just, I don't love that decision, man. What are you going to have two national championships next year in 2021? It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But USA Boxing, hey, there's a lot of decisions there that don't make a lot of sense. I love and support USA Boxing. I'm a member, okay? But <clears throat> that decision, I don't 100% agree with it. If it were me, I probably would have put on the event and done everything I could have to ensure the safety of everybody there. But that's just me. All right. Um, schedule coming together for the last month of the year. Guys, tomorrow is December 1st. Can you freaking believe it? One more month left in this terrible year that I never want to speak of again. I, I say that and then I remember, wait, I got married in August. So there was one good thing that happened this year in my life. Uh, and my show got picked up uh, on Rings platforms this year as well. So 2020 hasn't been all bad. But damn, it's been a tough year. We got one more le uh, month left, guys. And for boxing, it's going to be a good month, man, particularly for the zone, who got pounded this year by COVID and, and all the restrictions and everything, the lockdowns, the quarantines. It really hurt the zone more than any other boxing platform. But they got a good December coming up, man. Anthony Joshua versus Kubrat Pulev on December 12th. You guys know about that, of course. But recently added... Gennady Golovkin going up against Kabil Zermeta, December 18th. That's a Friday in Florida. And then the following night, Saturday night, December 19th, Canelo versus Callum Smith. So now I understand those three matchups are one-sided, at least on paper. The betting odds will be heavily favored towards the A side of all three of those matchups. That being said, it's three of the biggest stars in the sport. With fighting within a week of each other for 20 bucks because it's $20, obviously, for a one-month subscription to the zone, And then everything else that you're going to see boxing-wise that month as well. But uh, Anthony Joshua, Canelo Alvarez, those are the two biggest financial draws in the sport. Uh, and I've talked about it before that in terms of brand recognition, Tyson Fury's right there now. He's in the discussion. Of course, Manny Pacquiao is probably the most famous current active boxer. 
But AJ and Canelo are the two top dogs financially right now, at least proven, right? And then Gennady Golovkin, I think he's probably the fifth biggest brand in boxing. Because, again, you go Fury, AJ, um, uh, Canelo, of course, Pacquiao, of course. And then it's Golovkin right there. So you're getting three of the top five guys within a week of each other. It's going to cost you 20 bucks if you don't subscribe to The Zone. That's a pretty sweet deal, man. And, again, I don't work for The Zone. I don't, they, they don't, I don't owe them anything. They don't owe, owe me anything. It's just when, when you get it right, you get it right. And considering what, you know, go back a month, guys, when, when Golden Boy Promotions and Canelo were fighting, uh, Canelo had a lawsuit against Golden Boy and slashed the zone. Man, they, they played pretty good chess there. For all the bad decisions the zone has made, and they've made plenty of them in the last couple of years, overpaying fighters and everything else, <clears throat> they walked away from that situation looking pretty good. It's Golden Boy that got sacked, and it's the zone now that has Canelo uh, going up against uh, Callum Smith, who, who say what you will about him, he's still probably the most proven super middleweight in the world. I heavily favor Canelo in that fight. But damn, man, the zone came out all right in that one. They actually played some chess right there for the first time. So anyway, that's really it, man. As far as news and notes, we're rounding up the end of the year. You're not going to get a whole lot of news and notes, but we got a lot to review. So let's jump into it. I see a few of you guys on the chat uh, saying, uh, you know, welcome back and everything. I appreciate that, guys. Um, thank you so much. And again, if you're just jumping on the show, th- this is therapeutic for me. So, and I, I want to reiterate all the wonderful messages I got from all of you um, have really helped. They have helped. This is going to be a slow process for me to get back to like 100%. It'd be my normal, happy-go-lucky, shit-talking, joke-making self. I'm trying. And all of your messages and support has helped that. And just kind of doing this show and getting back to to boxing has been therapeutic for me. In fact, I got back in the boxing gym uh, a week or so ago. And um, I'll be there tomorrow morning at 10 10 a.m. I feel heavy as shit. I feel like I weigh 300 pounds when I jump rope. I huff and puff. I'm breathing like Gandolfini, <laughs> but uh, but it's it's helping, man. Okay, so anyway, review. Let's go back to Saturday, November fourteenth. Terrence Crawford, TKO four, Kel Brook, and also on that same card, Joshua Franco and Anthony, uh, Andrew Maloney fought to a no decision. So, couple of things, and I won't go over this too much because it's been a couple weeks. I get it. The boxing world has moved on since then, but. Uh, I thought this was a great performance by Terrence Crawford, and I get it. Kell Brook looked good early. He always looks good early. He's a very good, skilled, very athletic fighter, Kell Brook is. His athleticism is criminally underrated, and so is his skill set. The, the thing is, though, it's kind of one note. If he was a musician, or let's say he was a singer, he would sing in one octave, and he would kill that octave. He'd do great. But once you ask him to hit a different octave, whether it's higher or lower, he struggles. And once Terrence Crawford made the adjustment and saw, okay, there's this one dimension here. Let me change up dimensions. Let me change up looks. Then Terrence Crawford was coasting. And so uh, Kell Brook, you know, I think he was stopped on a southpaw jab, right? Because uh, Bud had switched over to the southpaw stance. And the ESPN crew, the commentary crew, completely missed the fact because they were saying, oh, a jab ended it, you know, and that was kind of shocking and odd. It was an odd-looking stoppage. I understand. But did they not remember that this man has two surgically repaired orbital bones? Like, basically half his face is metal. This dude is the, the boxing version of RoboCop. 
it was so evident that Crawford nailed him right on the plate on the left side of his head, and it caused a neurological reaction. That's all it was. Brooke literally did not know what happened. He was asking his corner, what the hell happened once he got knocked out? So that plate compromised him in that situation, and Crawford nailed him right on it. It must have hit a nerve or did something. It, he just didn't respond well. And if you kill Brooke, man, why fight on after this? If you want to do one more cash-out fight, that Amir Khan fight is always there. It's always going to be there. Now is the time to do it. Now or never. And then bow out. Some people don't like Kelbrook and and I think really underrated him, but I love the way the guy challenged himself. Say what you will, man. He got in there with three of the pound for pound, at least top 10 fighters, wherever you rate them. But within the last few years, Gennady Golovkin, who was the most avoided fighter in the sport at the time, and then um, uh, Errol Spence, and then Terrence Crawford. That's three guys who are still top 10 boxers, pound for pound in the world right now. And this dude fought him. Can you name another boxer that's fought those three guys? Nope. So let's put some respect on Kell Brook's name. Let's also put some respect on Terrence Crawford's name. Because although Brook does have a few losses, you got to be a damn good fighter to beat him. And he, uh, I'm not going to say he dominated. This wasn't a domination because he gave up a couple of rounds, but Bud always does. So uh, to me, Bud is, I think, the best welterweight in the world. And you can absolutely make an argument that although he doesn't have the best resume, it just based on the eye test and everything that we do know, and I do think Bud's resume is underrated at 140 and below, even at, even at welterweight. It's not complete shit. He's beat some decent guys. But I, you can make an argument Bud's the best fighter in the world. I've been saying that for years. You really, really could. Also on this card, Joshua Franco, Andrew Maloney, no decision. So this was another weird stoppage. There was like a 30-minute delay where the Nevada Athletic Commission was looking at the replays. Robert Byrd was in charge of replay. There is an issue right there. And ultimately, they decided that it was a clash of heads that not only caused this swelling on Franco's eye, but continued to swell it to the point where they felt they needed to stop the fight. Um, That's not what I saw. It's not what most of you saw. It's almost impossible to prove that it was just a, the headbutt alone, or was it the headbutt plus the 50 or so jabs that Maloney landed? To me, the, the, uh, the injury looked worse with each jab that Maloney landed. To me, it was pretty clear that Maloney's jab is what caused the fight to end. But the Nevada Athletic Commission, I always say this, they operate like a teacher's union on steroids or a police officer's union on steroids. What do I mean by that? More than anything else, what unions can do at times, this is the downside of unions. <clears throat> there are good things, good parts of unions. I'm a member of a union. I'm a member of SAG-AFTRA because I've done TV work. You guys know this. I'm not trying to be a hypocrite. And I'm a member of the BWAA. That's not exactly a union, but it's an association of professionals that work in a particular field and support each other. The bad part of unions, okay, for all the good that they do, is that sometimes they protect really shitty members. We've seen that with police, right? That's been in the news a lot recently. We've seen that with teachers. That's been in the news a lot recently. And in that Nevada commission, a shitty ref, like, uh, what was it, Russell Moore, I think, for that fight, um, who incorrectly called it a headbutt, 
was protected by NSAC. They protected, they wanted to side with the referee to save face for the commission as a whole. Not a good look. Not a good look. When you continuously support and prop up shitty refs, shitty judges, shitty ring officials, and these people are put in positions of power in the most powerful commission in the world that gets the biggest, in dollar terms, the biggest fights in the world year after year. Uh, It's not a good look, man. And they went to the point, here's how I know that guys like Bob Bennett and these, these guys, they're not on Twitter, right? So they didn't see all my tweets as I'm tweeting them, bashing their decision. And it wasn't just me. It was a lot of people, right? Uh, and I understand it's a difficult position to be in. I'm not trying to say that, like, I'm the expert and I'm perfect. I screw up plenty of calls. We all do. Own it and make improvements and then get rid of the people that suck and bring in better people. That's how you fix this thing moving forward. NSAC refuses to do that. But here's how I know that they listen to the show. They watch Twitter. They have people doing that because they sent out an email to certain members of the press, breaking down how they came to the decision to make it a no no decision for the fight. And I was on that email. So the fact that they're sending out an email to select media members, and it was a long, detailed email with all these screen images and stuff, shows that they are listening. They do listen to the media criticism. But that's how they address us. They send this one mass email, blind copy, a bunch of us on it, and say, here's why we decided to do this. Dude, that's not transparent. So I know that y'all are listening because I get the emails and the communications, but I have reached out to members of NSAC. I've asked them to be on the show. I've asked them to come on and talk about different things, and they refuse to do so. Until they start having transparency with the media and the fans, there's always going to be an issue there in that commission, man. And again... I support boxing. I love this sport. NSAC does a really great job with a lot of what they do. There's just some fundamental systemic issues there that need to be addressed. And I can't be the only one constantly bitching about this. Also, uh, Saturday, November 14th, Katie Taylor uh, wins a unanimous decision over, I think, from Spain, Miriam Gutierrez. I believe she was a Spanish fighter, first time fighting outside of Spain. And based upon that performance and some other things, we at Ring promoted Katie Taylor to number one pound for pound. And that really triggered some of you people out there. Really, really triggered you. Boxing Twitter went nuts with this. And anybody tied to Clarissa Shields in her camp, uh, whether it was fans or also people that worked as part of her camp, hated this. There were even people in the business calling Doug Fisher, chewing him out because he's the editor. And he ultimately says yay or nay. It went with uh, the Ring Ratings Committee's decision to put... Katie Taylor, number one. I don't know what the hell the damn controversy is. Clarissa Shields and Katie Taylor are clearly the two top female fighters in the world. Flip a damn coin for who you want to make number one. Here's why I put Katie Taylor number one right now. Look at recent activity. Katie Taylor has fought more recently over the last 12 months, 24 months, than Clarissa Shields, right? So there's that. But then there's also level of opposition, Katie Taylor has fought several fighters that are currently rated in the top 10 of the women's boxing ratings. Several of them. Not only that, she beat Jessica McCaskill, who moved up not one, but two divisions and beat uh, Cecilia Brekus to become the undisputed welterweight champion. Cecilia Brekus was formerly the number one pound-for-pound fighter. So 
she won that fight. You go back a little while, a year or so ago, maybe a couple, two, three years ago, Katie Taylor dominated McCaskill. Now, McCaskill's improved dramatically. I understand that. But this woman is the undisputed welterweight champion of the world. Katie Taylor beat her. Delphine Pearson, who's another pound-for-pound level fighter. Uh, the first fight, controversial decision. If you feel pursued won, that's fine. No argument from me. I felt maybe Taylor edged it. Could have been a draw. But in the rematch, there was no doubt. Katie Taylor absolutely dominated in the rematch and showed marked improvement. It showed that she learned from that first fight. So based upon those factors and the fact that Clarissa Shields hasn't fought, I think, since like January, February, it's been nearly a year. She's not. She's going to go an entire year without fighting almost, right? Just activity and level of opposition. Katie Taylor is clearly the more accomplished fighter. Now, people in the Shields camp will say, we won more titles, right? Because I think she's won something like, I, I, can't, I think it's eight world titles. Did you know that six of those eight world titles were vacant when she fought for them? She has not fought the level of opposition Katie Taylor has. Now, all this can change with the very next fight. If Clarissa Shields goes in there against a top elite level fighter in her very next fight, beats her, dominates, looks great, guess what? She goes right back to number one. But right now, Katie Taylor is the best female fighter in the world based on accomplishments. If you can't see that, you are blind. You are ignorant. You just hate it. Facts are facts, guys. Okay, let's jump forward to Friday, November 27th, last Friday in Thailand. Guys, the dream is over. TBE, Shayafun Moonsri lost officially to uh, another Thai fighter, Panya Pradabsri. And I had Thai food last night for dinner. I should be able to pronounce that. Pradabsri, I believe. 150, 113, three times. There were a lot of people out there that thought TBE should have won. There were several people, including people on the ring rings committee. We talked about it this weekend that saw the fight and thought TBE won. He edged it. But the official judges scored it for Pradabsri. And now TBE is TBE no longer. Now Floyd is TBE again. It was briefly this guy from Thailand who hasn't fought anybody worth a damn. Now it's back to Floyd Mayweather. We'll see. Hey, uh, Jake Paul, he might be the next TBE. He's undefeated too. We'll talk about him in a minute. But right now it's back to Floyd. In France last Friday, Tony Yoka really, really took a step up, in my opinion. Improved to 9-0 with seven knockouts, scoring a unanimous decision over the very durable Christian Hammer. I think now, based upon this performance and another fight we'll talk about in just a second, I think you got to call Tony Yoka the top heavyweight prospect in the world. Uh, who do you put above him right now? Prospect. I'm talking prospect here, guys. Uh, 2016 gold medalist. Now, a lot of people feel he didn't win that gold medal match. Okay, whatever. But he showed levels in this fight. He won every single round and went in there against a durable guy who, generally speaking, goes rounds. He's been stopped a couple times, but they were more like corner stoppages uh, when, when Hammer does get stopped. And Yoka just showed, uh, in my opinion, the type of athleticism, offensive variety, the, um, the snap on the punches, the angles, the footwork, and all that stuff that I want to see from a prospect that's still developing and learning. This was a good step up for him, in my opinion. The first time he went the distance uh, since his second fight as a professional back in 2017, got some much-needed rounds in this fight. This was his second time going more than six rounds. 
Unfortunately, there's a hairline fracture in his hand, so he will be out for a few months, but that's okay. Good learning lesson here. Uh, heal up from his injuries. Come back. And he's not, I don't know if he's ready for a top 10 guy, but I think he's ready now for a guy in the top 20. And uh, he's, he's, clearly, he's clearly there. This was a little step up the ladder for him. Speaking of heavyweight prospects, uh, well, before I get to Joyce and Dubois, I know I, I saw a few of you guys in the chat want me to get there. One more fight I quickly have to talk about on Friday in Florida on the zone. I ain't going to talk long about this. Daniel Jacobs split decision win over Gabriel Rosado. There are a lot of you out there that thought Rosado edged it. You can make an argument. Jacobs edged it. Honestly, did either guy really, really want to win this fight? Did either guy really fight, particularly in the quote-unquote championship rounds? How the hell was this a championship fight? Championship rounds. Uh, did either guy really, really fight like they wanted to win this thing? That's not what I saw. So, hey, I look at a fight like this and I say, this fight is a draw. I don't really give a shit. But either way, man, um, it, it was two different things. Gabe Rosado, I do feel, is a little underappreciated and underrated by some people. I tweeted about this because I looked. He hasn't been stopped since 2014. There were a few guys that stopped him. Uh, Gennady Golovkin, of course. David Lemieux, of course. I'm forgetting. There was one or two other guys that stopped him. But in the last six years, he's fought some damn good fighters. And he's gone the distance. He's been tough. He's been durable. He's changed up his style. He's uh, boxed a little more, brawled a little less. He still bleeds. He, you know, I mean, uh, he's definitely a bleeder. But Quillen, yeah, I saw you in the uh, 1999 the chat said Peter Quillen cuts. That's right. It was Peter Quillen, and there was one other guy that stopped him. I just can't remember who the hell it was. But, man, this was a boring sparring session. Wow. Daniel Jacobs is the better fighter. We know this. He fought down to his opposition, in my opinion. Now, I, I, I do believe he's kind of checked out mentally a little bit in his he's got you know one foot out the door in regards to retirement he's had a couple of great paydays somehow made 10 million dollars against Canelo Alvarez and that's retirement money man he's got a couple more fights left in him and then um, it's time to walk into the sunset because this was just not the type of performance that um, fans are going to be wanting to see more of you know what I'm saying and he hasn't had one of those in a while had a good run man Fought some top guys, Derevyanchenko, Golovkin, uh, Canelo, a couple other decent top fighters, you know, just a notch below those guys. And, um, you know, good career. Fought some good guys, made a lot of money. But at this point, dude, if you're going the distance with a washed-up Gabe Rizzato, remember, this was at 168, guys. This wasn't at 154 or 160. I just don't know, man. Uh, we've got a call here. Let me jump over to the calls, guys, and then we'll get back to last Saturday. Jump over here. Hopefully... Oh, yeah. 570. You're on TNC. Go. Hey, good stuff, Mike. Uh, yeah, in regards to the weekend, I'd like to first talk about Mike Tyson. Not really about the fight this weekend, but his legacy in the sport, because you saw a lot of um, uh, bear witness to his record of being the youngest man to win the heavyweight championship and how relevant and almost impossible that would be to break. Daniel Dubois. Um, yeah, he was not in the class of Joe Joyce because of experience and his age. We saw that disparity up close. So to really put in perspective, Mike Tyson winning that title, okay, that's a record that should be put respect upon. 50-0 and 0 is, is, is nothing. That is just yeah. a ploy for the mouth breathers to get all excited about. 
But Mike Tyson's legacy as youngest man to ever win the heavyweight title will go down in history as probably the, the hardest record in boxing to ever attain. And, and we saw it this weekend, the young heavyweights. You, you can't put a guy in at 20 years old and expect him to win the heavyweight championship. Yeah. Not at heavyweight. You're right. It is different and, at heavyweight. Uh, it's different. Oh, yeah. And, and look at Lennox Lewis in 1984 fought Terrell Biggs in the Olympics. And he did not turn pro, unlike Tyson. They're about the same age. Hmm. He waited another four years, got his Olympic gold, and then turned pro in 89 and 90. By that time, Tyson was already being talked about as the greatest heavyweight in history. Uh, he was a lineal champion, undisputed champion. He made his legacy by the time Lennox turned pro, and they were the same age, and they pretty much fought at the same level in the amateurs at the same time. So, so let's all mention that. So, again, um, you know, what took place over this weekend is irrelevant. You know, Tyson, I mean, for his age, amazing, 220 pounds. God love him. Yeah. But um, yeah. – as far as the state of boxing right now with prospects, it, there's no American fighters. What can you say? Um, mm, we saw Kazakh Thunder come up and, and, and absolutely destroy Ndongo. The guy who, on paper, is probably Crawford's biggest legacy fight because it was a, um, a unification bout. And he absolutely tattooed him in two rounds. So that's two losses in a row for Ndongo against Pro Gray and, and uh, Kazakh Thunder. So, again, we have to start putting in perspective Terrence Crawford's resume. And with Kel Brook going in, I wanted to bet my house on Crawford because he's a shot. Uh, Kel Brook was a shot fighter. He had no punch resistance. As soon as he got hit, it was over. And this matchmaking... What's going on with Crawford? It, it's, it's spinning your wheels in the mud. It, it doesn't, you don't gain any traction. Crawford needs to step up, go to PBC, unfortunately. It's, it's actually extortion is what it is to have to go to a certain uh, promotional company to get fights anymore, which Joe Joyce is going to have to do a match room now um, also. It's sad. It's a sad state of affairs, but it's a reality. And a lot of fighters are just content to fight gimme fights. Devin Haney. Email champ, he, 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 he should never be a champion. And boxing, allowing these guys to fight nobodies and then all of a sudden elevate them to mandatory status, like, like we saw with, with Dubois. What was he ranked number two by the WEO? By fighting who? By fighting who? It's, boxing has to get a grip at the very top. And instead of making a mockery with these rankings, start having to earn them. And I know it's difficult because promoters and managers are throwing money around like it's water. But in order to save the sport, especially in America, these guys have to start earning their recognition because it's all entitlement in the United States. Because I'll be honest with you, after Daniel Jacobs showing, the best United States fighter above 160 is, is Joe Smith. Think about that for a minute. Hmm. Andrade's never beaten anybody. He's, he got a gifted belt. Charlo, yeah, he beat a past prime Deverinchenko. He never beat a champion to get that belt. The best American fighter right now above 160 is Joe Smith. Well, and you can make an argument, yeah, maybe based on accomplishment, but in terms of potential, there are a few young guys who might be better. We just haven't seen them prove it yet. 
But so somebody in the chat, I want to get your thoughts on this, man, because you, you bring up some good points about the American prospects. But what about guys like Jerron Boots Ennis? What about guys like um, Virgil Ortiz, who I'm super high on? Um, there are there's well, plenty of young guys in the lower weight classes, and uh, David Benavidez at 168, he might be the goods. Caleb Plant, uh, you know, these guys haven't proved it yet, obviously, but right. we have talent, we have potential here. As you mm-hmm. said, they just got to fight top guys. So let's give Danny Dubois some credit for fighting Joe Joyce when he didn't oh, yeah. have to. He could have bullshitted around and got a piece of a – or got a title shot like some of our American heavyweight prospects did recently, like Gerald Washington, um, uh, Charles Martin, you know, guys like that. I think he deserves credit, man. Oh, yeah, absolutely he deserves credit because at his age, stepping up, yeah, big-time credit. I, I look at that that fight sort of like Rockman versus Tua to a okay. certain point. Yeah. And, you know, Rockman got knocked out. He was winning the fight, the whole fight. Tua knocked him out, came back, and he won the heavyweight championship, the last American – truly to win the heavyweight championship, Hasim Rahman. That fight made him stronger. Um, Dubois, he may be damaged beyond repair at this point because every fighter is going to target that eye. Um, it's yeah. amazing that, you know, an injury like that, we, we all saw with Kel Brook. He was done right after Golovkin ruined him. Um, as far as the prospects go, again, Virgil Ortiz, I like the guy. I think he's, he's quality. Anus, no. I don't think he's got it. He really? looks great I like against Anus, so far, based yeah, on what I've I, seen, I like him. Yeah, he. I mean, it's easy to look good against guys that are made to look make you look good. He right, hasn't sure, stepped up sure. to fight a guy that was going to give him problems. Sure. But you see that amongst these other fighters from the Olympics, like Kazakh Thunder, for an in- instance. You, you see all these uh, Ukraine and Kazakh and um, Uzbekistan fighters. I mean, they're stepping up to fight guys right off the bat. And a lot of it has to do with age. Yeah, they're a little older and seasoned. But these American guys, they got to stop with the, you know, entitlement bullshit and actually say, hey, I want to fight. Just like, um, you know, against Lomachenko, you know, having Lopez step up like that or Lopez, I mean. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Have him step up. Yeah, that's a man. I give him a lot of credit. There's a a young American fighter that's right on the precipice, man. I mean, that kid. Right. You know. Let's give him credit. Yeah, I, he, I fully admit I did not give him enough credit, uh, you know, the night of the fight. I just did not give Lopez enough credit. What he did against Lomachenko, we're going to be talking about that years mm-hmm. from now, brother. We're going to be talking about that. Oh, yeah. And, you know, if he – you know, he's such a bigger fighter, though. He's a real welterweight. Of course. That's another thing with the uh, the weight bullies. With Devin Haney, you know, he has no power at lightweight. Wait till he moves up. You know, he's he's not going to be anything. Um, a lot of these guys are fighting below their their true weight class, and it's a lot of weight bully issues. Just like we saw with Danny Jacobs, he's nothing at 168 now. He can't he can't pull the weight bully issue. He's he's mentally uh, but checked it, out. It just yeah, he's done. He got his money. Right, right. You know, you got to give him a pass. Um, Lopez, though, you know that's that's a real fighter. He's cut from a different cloth. Uh, American fighters don't have that will like he does anymore, in my opinion. Um, actually Virgil Ortiz. Yeah, he, he kind of does. Um, but other than that, when you mentioned plant and Benavides, they've been handed, you know, gimmies on a silver platter. They haven't proven it and they haven't, they, they refuse to prove it with, you know, plant refusing to unify with Benavides and vice versa, denying Canelo a fight. I mean, it's, it's the same old, same old, 
especially over at the PBC side. I mean, it's just, they ruined boxing in America, to be quite honest, with these outrageous purses. Now all these guys feel entitled. They don't have to go out and earn it anymore. Well, we're going through a price um, fluctu- a market fluctuation right now. And over the next few years, this new generation is going to learn very, very quickly. In fact, I want to get to that, man. I need to jump to these other fights. But um, yeah. we saw with that Deezer thing this weekend with the Tyson card, right? It, yes. Name recognition is what draws money. Right. And that going forward with the social media thing and all the streaming platforms, it the, the market is fluctuating right now. And the old pay-per-view model is not going to work much longer. You, you know, the new generation is finding out very, very quickly. Look at these recent pay-per-views with the Charlo brothers, Javante Davis. They underperformed, man. And the Charlo pay-per-view was a good value. That was two good, solid fights for those guys, you know, it against was. top five fighters. But they don't have the, uh, you know, they haven't earned it. Nobody right. wants to see them. No one wants to pay for them because they haven't fought anybody. Well, you know, they did that night. Trouble, they they did that more. night, but the problem is that night should have been on Fox. When they right. finally stepped exactly. up and fought top guys, put them on Fox, let you know millions of people see it in, yep. across Man. the country, and th- there you go. Yeah. I got to tell you, man, the, the Tyson pay per view. Okay, this was on some app called Triller that I've never heard of. It was at every damn yeah. sports bar in America. So p- yes, they, it was. Why did they go to all the trouble to find Deezer, whatever the hell that is, and buy this pay-per-view? Well, first of all, it was it was half off from most pay-per-views now. I think it was, what, 50 bucks. But second, it's because 50, it was freaking yeah. Mike Tyson. And they were smart yeah. enough to put this Jake Paul guy on there, who I have no freaking idea who this guy is. But he's got like 30, him and his brother, 30 million YouTube followers. Yeah. That gets the kids yeah. involved, right? So right. they knew right. what they were doing. And it wouldn't surprise me if that pay-per-view outperformed the last two PBC pay-per-views million. combined. 1.5 million, that's going to sell. And I'll tell you, I, in the lead up, I was even busting Rick, Rick Glazer. I was saying, yeah, this is going to sell a million pay-per-views because every, now I know a lot of idiots and I'm friends with a lot of idiots. Okay. <laughs> they were all a week before saying, we're going to get the fight. We're going to get the fight. You want to come over? We're going to get the fight. All the casuals, you know, these are all the guys that say, oh, if we're going to bet the Eagles, uh, you know, you run the opposite way because they're completely, they're, they're just the casual fan. They don't, don't know anything. Okay. They are all buying the fight. Girls. Mm-hmm. That I know on, on Facebook, they're yeah. all buying the fight. I'm like, save your money. But they're like, no, 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 this is Mike Tyson. And then a lot of the other guys getting brought in by the, uh, the, uh, whatever Jake Paul, you know, and by the way, Snoop Dogg on that telecast is I, I, I watched it after the fact he was hilarious, especially when Jake Paul absolutely gave the goods to that basketball player, Nate Robinson. Right. He was singing like, Oh my lord! It was hilarious. <laughs> I'll it talk about so that in just a funny. second, man. Yeah, because I, I, I got some opinions. I mean, Snoop Dogg perfectly fit what they were doing because they were not putting on a serious event to be taken right. seriously. It was theater. It was the circus, but they yeah. did it right. They put the right people in there. Sugar Ray Leonard shouldn't have been commentating. I love, I love Ray Leonard. Yeah. Right, one of my all-time favorites. A wonderful human being. Terrible commentator. But other than him, they pretty much knocked it out of the park, every part of it. Uh, the music was yes, god-awful, too. But other than that, <laughs> so, but, yo, I got yeah. I got to move on, brother. I got to get back to these fight reviews, Please man. Do. Thanks so much for calling in. Thank you. All right. Will do. Bye-bye. Bye. There he goes. Okay. Um, 
yeah, I just I want to because he hit on a few different topics, guys, and I want to get into these. Um, so Saturday, November twenty eighth. Let, let's get to the Joe Joyce Daniel Dubois debate, okay? Um, because this is a London ESPN Plus good heavyweight scrap. There are a lot of people out there that absolutely hated the action in this fight and said, "Oh my God, these guys are lumbering slobs and they don't know what the hell they're doing." I understand that on the surface. Uh, these guys don't look like, you know, the second coming of Lennox Lewis and Vladimir Klitschko. Okay, I agree. They're, they're not, okay? But Lennox Lewis and Vladimir Klitschko are two of the top dozen or so best heavyweights of all time. Lennox Lewis is in a discussion of the top two or three, right? So uh, most heavyweights will not look like them, okay? And these guys didn't even look like Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua. I get it. They're prospects, but... I, I, I really believe Joe Joyce has elevated now to a contender. I no longer look at him as a prospect. He, he is now a contender. He's not a top 10 heavyweight quite yet, but he's in the top 15. That's all, This is all it takes in this era of heavyweight boxing to get you right there at the top 15, at least top 20. Um, and he is ready, I think, to fight one of the lower tier top 10 fighters. Uh, I, I think put him in there with uh, Joseph Parker and Andy Ruiz uh, Oscar Rivas, who are some of these other guys? Uh, help me out, guys. Any of those, even Luis Ortiz, put him in there with those kinds of guys. I think he's ready. He's not ready for the top five, but he's just under that. Yeah, put him in there. See what the hell happens. Dude's what, 35? He had a, he fought in the World Series of Boxing. He's fought top-level opposition in the amateurs, if you include the World Series of Boxing as amateurs. I know it's a gray area. But uh, he fought Alexander Usyk. You know, he's fought other guys. And now as a pro, I get it. Beating Daniel Dubois at this stage doesn't mean he's a world beater. I understand. But with Joe Joyce specifically, let me just say, he's not the fastest guy, not fleet of foot. I understand that. Doesn't throw his punches particularly well fundamentally. They're more fundamentally sound than Deontay Wilder. They don't have the snap of guys like Wilder. They don't have that that twitch in his punches and his movements. I understand all that. But... He is a massive human being who fights very relaxed in the ring. I've talked about this for years, right? And I make the comparisons to James Tony because I'm not at all comparing them as fighters. But the I remember when James fought. James didn't do any damn road work. He didn't do any exercise. I never saw the guy lift a weight. All he did was spar and do bag work. That's how James Tony worked out. But when he got in the ring, he was so relaxed. He could have a dude pounding on him with his back on the ropes and roll with it and catch and parry and breathe like he was sleeping. That is relaxed, ladies and gentlemen. That is being able to relax under a firefight. And Joe Joyce has an element of that to him when he fights. Daniel Dubois was putting on a lot of pressure early on. He was throwing a lot of overhand rights. Uh, and he was throwing plenty of jabs, too. It was all up top, and it was all the same speed. I'll talk about Dubois in just a second. But Joyce had a very smart game plan, and he was able to execute it. He kept moving to his right. He stayed just out of range. Where, where Even when he got hit with those right hands, Dubois was punching up, and he was reaching with them. He had to kind of lunge and um, uh, hunch over. As he threw them, he wasn't fighting tall and standing up and throwing it with proper leverage, right? So Joyce was staying just to his right, and it, that was forcing Dubois, 
who does whose footwork was not where it should have been to square up. Dubois had to square up with him to throw the right hands the way he wanted to throw them instead of moving with Joyce to keep his angle and shoot the punches the proper way where he could put his hips into it. That was enough to keep Dubois at range. And then Joyce, since he was already to his right, Dubois left, he just jabbed the shit out of him all night. And I get it. He doesn't turn over on the jab. He doesn't throw it the proper way all the time. He doesn't throw it off the back foot. Um, His elbows sometimes aren't tight. Um, All of that. I get it, guys. But again, he's a massive human being. And sometimes the best thing you could do when you're punching is just be relaxed and not tighten up until right before impact. And Joyce does that well. He's got heavy hands. There's a little bit of Vitali Klitschko to the way he punches. Again, not comparing them exactly as fighters, but Vitali punched with arm punches later in his career. He was not a knockout puncher. His brother Vladimir was. Vitali would stay at range and just touch you. Just touch you with punches from odd angles sometimes. But he was a massive, super strong human being doing that to people over and over and over. And he'd wear them down. And that's what Joyce did did here. here. Man, I'm losing my voice. I'm sorry, guys. Obviously, it's been a rough month. A lot of uh, yelling and talking with family and planning and raging things and some crying mixed in with all that, you know. So, yeah, I'm kind of losing my, my voice here. But... I do think people underrate and underestimate Joyce to a certain degree. I'm not saying he's ready for Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua or even for a Deontay Wilder. Not, not there yet. But this guy has something. I'm telling you, there's something to him. Okay, don't, don't completely count him out just yet because he doesn't move the way you're used to seeing a, a massive professional athlete move. There's something to this guy. He will go as far as his chin can take him. How would his chin hold up against the top five heavyweight? We shall find out. If it can hold up against those elite level punchers that know how to move with a guy, set up the punches, throw them properly. Um, if, it can, if he could take those punches, I don't know, dude. This guy's going to be a problem. If if Joe Joyce and Oleksandr Usyk end up fighting for the vacant WBO heavyweight title in 2021, I'm telling you guys right now, that's a close fight. And they both fought in the World Series of Boxing, and Oleksandr Usyk boxed circles around him. I understand it. That was years ago. Usyk has been injured multiple times. He's got 30 more pounds of bulk on him than he had that night, 20, 30 more pounds. Um, I think... Joyce has improved since then. So I'm telling you guys right now, don't count this dude out. Now, let's talk about Dubois. Let's give this 23-year-old credit for stepping up and fighting a guy that no one's calling Joe Joyce a future Hall of Famer, okay? He's still, he just graduated to contender status with his win over Dubois. But he was dangerous, And there was no need for Dubois to fight Joyce at this stage. He was being hyped as the next big thing, right? Triple D, Danny Dubois. He could have went a different direction. How many heavyweights, especially heavyweights, have we seen in recent years pad their record, keep an O, fight guys that they you know going in they're going to win, right? 90-10 that they're going to win. And then... Deontay Wilder's almost entire title run 
was against guys like that. How I can name a bunch of names. You guys know the names. Guys that built up a record, got 20, 25 W's, and then went in there and fought Wilder and got knocked out. Dubois could have did the same thing, okay? He could have worked his way up into a mandatory against a guy that everyone knows he's going to beat, and then he could have went in there and got his title opportunity and made some quick money. But this dude stepped up at 23 years old and fought another undefeated heavyweight with a lot more experience, a bigger guy who's faced better opposition, both amateur and pro. Let's give the kid some credit. Now, we did not see previously the vulnerabilities that we saw Saturday night when he fought Joyce. Dubois, there's still a lot to work on. And guess what? That's what happens when you step up. Some of those things that we didn't quite see before, they become exposed. So uh, Dubois needs to work on head movement. He needs to work on footwork. He needs to work on angles. There's plenty of things to, to work on. There were great opportunities for him in this fight against Joyce to land shots to the body. There were looping left hooks, particularly when you got a guy going the same direction every time. You could feint with the right hand. You could shoot a left hand. You could shoot 45s. There's a million other things you could have did. It really looked like all he had was a 1-2 against Joyce. So there's plenty to work on. But what I really want to talk about is people questioning his heart. Danny Dubois had a bad injury to his left eye. We found out subsequently he fractured his over the bone and suffered nerve damage. There was a hard, stiff jab from Joyce Landon in the 10th round, and immediately Dubois took a knee and said, I'm it. Uh, that's it. I'm done. And a lot of people said, well, man, this guy's got no heart. People called him a quitter. People called him a bitch. People called him all these things. And they said, several fighters said, this is going to be a cloud that hangs over him for the rest of his career. People are going to question his toughness, his heart. Is it just me? Or did anybody else notice that this guy's eye was injured five or six rounds before the 10th round? In other words, Dubois fought four or five, maybe six rounds with an injured eye, with impaired vision in the left eye that was getting jabbed over and over with the fighter moving to his left, right? So impaired vision with the guy, the guy you're fighting moving over to that eye, yet he kept fighting. I don't know about you guys, but that doesn't sound like a lack of heart to me. That sounds like a guy fighting through adversity and giving his best. And guess what? He actually won a couple of those rounds with the hurt eye. But there was one particular jab that landed, and I guess it must have hit a nerve or something like that, and Dubois fought, or thought he could not fight on. Now, I don't know if any of you guys out there have ever experienced impaired vision. It can be scary as shit. There have been times, different situations in my particular life, where I've seen flashes, where uh, things went black, or where you get like, um, I don't know what you'd call it, but limited vision, where you just see like a circle in front of you and everything else around it's blacked out. That shit's scary as hell. If you're in there and you can't see, and who knows, we don't know what happened to Dubois, but he didn't make any damn excuses. But maybe when he got hit with that jab, he got double vision. Maybe his eyes separated and he saw double. Uh, maybe, again, he was seeing flashes. Who knows? But whatever it was, it was enough for him to decide he needed to retire. If you want to use the word quit, that's fine. I guess technically he did quit. But what Daniel Dubois did against Joe Joyce is the antithesis of what Guillermo Rigadiao did against Vasily Lomachenko. And for some people out there on the internet, boxing Twitter, to try to compare the two, and that's ridiculous and it's really, really unfair. 
context matters, subtext matters, okay? So with Dubois, there are questions, though, about some of the skills. But he's 23. He can learn from this. He can get better. If he becomes a better fighter years down the road because of this, good for him. Vitaly Klitschko once quit against Chris Bird when he had a shoulder injury and felt he could not continue, right? A lot of people call Vitaly Klitschko a quitter, a bitch. He just doesn't have the heart for this, et cetera, et cetera. Then what happened years later when he got in there against Lennox Lewis? He proved all those people wrong. In a fight that he ultimately lost, but a fight that ended up becoming uh, what made him beloved by boxing fans. So, guys, pump the brakes, okay? Pump the brakes. Okay, real quick, uh, I'm going to do this uh, Mike Tyson fight review, and then uh, we got a call here that we'll jump to. But uh, also, last Saturday, Staples Center on Triller, Staples Center in Los Angeles, Mike Tyson versus Roy Jones. Now, this was what it was, okay? This was... As I said before, theater. This was two legends of the ring getting in there, doing their thing, an exhibition fight. It was better than I expected it to be, but it wasn't like this amazing. You know, I, I it, it cracked me up that people thought this could be a knockout. I had several people tell me, but man, did you see their interview on Joe Rogan? They both want to knock each other's heads off. Come on, guys. It was what it was, but I will say, for the price tag, which was 50% off of most pay-per-views, not bad. It was entertaining. And guess what? I really want to talk about this Jake Paul versus Nate Robinson thing because I, I'll i be honest with you guys. I didn't pay any attention to this fight during the lead-up. I didn't even know who the hell Nate Robinson was, okay, until fight night. But I saw a little bit of uh, preview stuff that they did on the broadcast, and they showed where Nate Robinson, uh, he's the one who called out Jake Paul. I didn't realize that. It was this former NBA player that was talking a bunch of shit about this YouTube dude. And so the YouTube guy said, okay, let's fight. Cool. Nate Robinson, three-time NBA slam dunk contest winner, right? And Nate Rob- or, uh, Jake Paul destroys him in the second round. Um that was pretty entertaining. I got to say, you got a concussive, conclusive knockout. Now, some of the YouTube fights that we've seen before were just sloppy nastiness that ended up with these, you know, crap decisions and stuff. But this was actually like that Jake Paul kid showed some improvement. Like I was pleasantly surprised by this. Um, And after the fight, it's been interesting. Also, as I should mention, Badu Jack, uh, unanimous decision win over Blake McKernan. Good for Badu Jack. He was fighting for his charity. Badu Jack is one of the true good guys in the sport, does a lot of charitable work. And I don't know what percentage of his purse, but I do know a, a at least a piece of it is going to his charity work. So so good for him. Badu Jack is a good dude. We're going to have him on the show soon enough. But after this, I saw a lot of people on Twitter, including a lot of fighters, talking shit about Jake Paul. And saying stuff like, well, why don't he fight me? Antonio Tarver. And Antonio Tarver, I, there, there is some political stuff going on with his messaging here and why he's calling out Jake Paul. But I thought it's it, just a really bad look for him to say, why don't he get in the ring with me? I'll jack his ass up. Well, no shit. No shit. Okay. Why Jake Paul? And again, I don't know who the hell the dude is. I, I, I could give a damn if he fights again. But 
he has tens of millions of followers on YouTube. They care if he fights again. They bought the pay-per-view. He's obviously generating money, enough money to where these Triller people were interested. Remember, Jake Paul did one other pro fight, and I believe it was on the zone. And they must have got numbers from that and seen enough of the numbers, the trending analysis, the financials, to feel confident paying him. I think it was 600000 reported, but this dude's going to get over a million dollars. Man, that triggered some people. It also triggered people that Mike Tyson and Roy Jones, two guys, you know, Tyson hasn't fought in 15 years. Jones hasn't beat a live body in maybe 20 years or something. Okay, well, they made what? They're both going to make over, I think, $5 million. Or I know Tyson will. They're going to make millions of dollars. That pissed some people off, but particularly this Jake Paul thing. Let me, under, let me explain to you guys business economics. Boxing is a business. Michelle Rosado today on Twitter uh, just bodied boxing Twitter. If you don't follow Michelle Rosado, uh, she's worked in the business for a long time to different capacities. Now she's doing pr- promotional work. Go to her page. Follow her. Check her out. She had a a great thread today just talking about the fact that Jake Paul isn't the damn problem. The the problem in boxing right now is the best don't fight the best often enough. When Tiafimo Lopez and Vasily Lomachenko fought, 3 million people showed up and watched that damn fight. Vasily Lomachenko is a tiny little man, maybe maybe 5'6", not from America. Tiafimo Lopez was completely unknown to anyone outside of the boxing community. And yet, these two tiny little men, one quote-unquote foreigner and one unknown, unproven young guy, 3 million views on ESPN because the word got out that this was the best fighting the best. When boxing does that, people show up. People still show up. And the problem in boxing is the best don't fight the best. That's why you ain't generating the numbers uh, that you need to to get the paydays you want. Whatever you have to say about Jake Paul and his brother, Paul Logan, whatever the hell, these guys have so many followers. When they fight, people pay attention. KSI, it was the same thing with him, right? They're getting paid a shitload of money. You can hate all day, but that's the way this shit works, guys. It's economics. It's supply and demand. So I saw a lot of, particularly female fighters. There was a thread with certain female fighters, and I don't want to get into a women's boxing versus men's boxing thing. But there were several female fighters bashing Jake Paul. And then some people were bringing race into it and demographics and, and all this kind of stuff. Man, the only demographics that matter here are young girls that follow Jake Paul and young people in general. When I say young, I mean like college age or younger. That's who knows who the hell this dude is. If you're 30 and over, you have no freaking idea who this guy is, right? But all these young people do. That's the demographic that matters. And they bought in. So for everyone bitching and moaning, it just man, it cracks me up. It, and no one talks about the fact that a mediocre heavyweight, we're talking men's boxing now, a mediocre heavyweight will make more money than a pound-for-pound level flyweight. That's just economics. Heavyweights make more money. No one complains when that happens. People say, oh, that's, that's the business of boxing. Nobody complained when Floyd Mayweather was making 30 plus million dollars and paying his opponent a million or two million. Oh, that's just the business of boxing. Well, this is just the business of boxing too. You could say that this is the, the, the dark side of it, the bad part of it. Well, okay, but it's, it's capitalism, baby. So step up your game instead of you know, worrying about what somebody else does. And again, I don't know Jake, but Jake Paul could walk right in front of me. I wouldn't know who the hell he is. I'd be like, oh, there goes Matt Damon. 
some blonde dude walking. That's just that's what he looks like to me. I don't know who the hell this guy is, but I understand if him and his brother have 30 million YouTube followers, yeah, they're probably going to get a million dollar purse to fight against some NBA player I never heard of. <laughs> hey, I'll just say this: the fight was entertaining, okay? And if he he ends up fighting like Conor McGregor or something like that, I'm not going to go out of my way to pay for it or nothing like that. But if it's on, I'll check it out. I mean, what the hell? Why not? All right, let's jump over here to another phone call, and then we'll get into the fight preview for this weekend. All right, four four seven. You were on TNC. Go. Hello, Mike. It's Hammond. Uh, I just I'm want to say welcome back. Thank you. Yeah, sir. How are you doing? Uh, you know, I'm I'm feeling better. I'm I'm feeling better, and thank you for checking All in, right, me, brother. To... I appreciate it. Alright, that's good to know. Yeah, it's yeah, very tragic what happened. So it's good to see you back on. Uh, I missed parts of the show, so I didn't hear what you had to say about the whole Dubois fight. But like, I got mixed feelings about this fight. Uh, when the fight was made, I was with you. I was picking Dubois, but last week I did post a couple of stuff and. I was even saying, my heart is saying Dubois, but my head is saying Joyce, because when you look at the guys Dubois had fought, uh, on paper, they weren't good fighters, man. Apart from Nathan Gorman, I don't think he had a fight where someone was in the opposite corner, people thought was going to either beat him or uh, like it was going to give him trouble. Like, uh, And I don't think he was matched up well. At the same time, I do think he was a good fighter, because he's the youngest British uh, Heavyweight, I think, champion. I know that doesn't mean anything because some guys turn pro late, like uh, Joshua and uh, I think even Lewis because they were in the Olympics. But mm. at the same time, I think he could have been matched up a bit better. Like, look at the guys that Joyce fought uh, Jennings, uh, Stavrin, maybe not the greatest of opposition, but at least they were seasoned pros right. or ex world champions. Um, I don't think Dubois, they did a good job with him. At the same time, I'm not saying they should not have made that fight. I just think. He didn't have the preparation in actual pro boxing. And I thought Joyce beat Tony Yoka in the amateurs as well in the Olympic final. So Joyce, I think, on paper, had a much stellar amateur and professional background and uh, was obviously was way more experienced. Uh, du- during the fight, I thought Dubois was winning. Like uh, I didn't see a problem with people having Joyce or Dubois up 5 4. Either way, I thought you could argue maybe 6-3, Dubois, that's the type of fight, but I think maybe that's a bit wide because I've seen a lot of people had Joyce up. So I think it was 5-4 is probably correct either way. I just I couldn't give Joyce more than four rounds. I think when you're getting out landed by so many power shots and you're getting head snapped back and you're just landing a jab, it's tough for me to give a guy like Joyce more than, I'd say, four rounds. There was a round, I think, that you could give him because Dubois hurt him in the first 30 seconds, but then the next two minutes, he's getting out jab. So that's the type of run. I think Joyce probably did enough to win, but in the end, I think uh, he made the right decision. I just don't think it was a good look from the corner. If the guy is seeing he wanted to get pulled out and the corner refused to let him be pulled out, uh, I don't think they did a good job because now people are calling him a quitter. And I got no problem if you think he's a quitter because in the end, as uh, critical as that sounds, she did quit uh, the word. I think is a bit overused because I think if a guy wants to tap out in UFC, I don't see as much backlash. But that's my problem reason, with it. My, my yeah, I, I don't. It, technically, he quit. 
right? Or retired, whatever word you want to use. But um, the the criticism over that, that's the issue I have. And the guy stepped up. He fought uh, a more experienced fighter. And as it turned out, to perhaps a, a better skilled fighter and lost. And so what? He can go back to the drawing board. He can improve from this. But people, I just saw people piling on on Twitter. And I just thought that was really unfair. Um, you know, yeah. he doesn't deserve that. The kid's 23 years old. He stepped up. He lost. So what? It happened with Cal Brook as well. And I, I do think maybe there's slight difference because I think, uh, how do I put it, with Brook, I think he was complaining at the time when he got pulled out with Golovkin and then against Spence. Uh, yeah. He essentially quit. But still, I remember there was a lot of pro fighters. Like I think it's Javante Davis, and I think there was a couple of others. Uh, Chris Eubank as well. Uh, I've lost any respect I had. Like I don't know why. Like a guy who bottled from the Golovkin fight. I don't know why he keeps calling people quitters. Like he's, That's a good point. I personally think someone who shouldn't be piling on on top of people, ex or fellow boxers. I just think people are going a bit over the top. Uh, I think. Boxing fans are not a good look for sports fans. I personally think, like, uh, what you said, uh, it's true. Like, uh, UFC fans, I don't see them being this overcritical. When, like, when McGregor tapped out, I can't remember this much outrage from UFC yeah. fans. Look at uh, Jorge Masvidal has, I want to say, a dozen losses or something like that, and they still love him. He's beloved. Right. And if he fought on a pay-per-view next year, they'd probably do crazy numbers. So th- th- there's a thing with boxing fans th- that they're hypocritical a lot, and not all of them, obviously, not even most of them, but there's a good portion of them. And I tweeted about this today. I'm sure you saw the tweet where it's like they say, oh, I want the best to fight the best. That I'm not saying Joyce and Dubois were the best, but they were seen as the two top, at least the two top British heavyweight prospects, yeah. right? They didn't have to fight yeah. each other, but they did. That was an important thing. And then you beat the shit out of the guy when he loses. Man, that's just yeah, not cool. Exactly. It's just not cool. Yeah. The, yeah. If you ask for the fight, then you want to crap on whatever the loser or however the fight played out. Like, I don't know what more fans, the fans wanted. Like, we got a conclusive winner. I get it. Like, he, he essentially gave up. With, and it was a jab, but... I thought that was a serious injury, and I said it yeah. after the fight as well. I'd wait before I, I like I make a proper final judgment because I remember when Gerald McClellan took a knee against uh, Nigel Ben. I remember a lot of people, even the commentator, was saying he quit. And then we know what happened after. Like that's right. why I think people shouldn't, in the heat of the moment, shouldn't say stuff without knowing the full background of what's going on. But yeah. hopefully, the boss comes back. He's still twenty-three. I just hope. This type of fight uh, doesn't uh, affect his career, but I don't think it's a good look. Like he was, he was winning, I thought as well, and he was actually winning, which is a fact. Uh, the judges' scorecard, and he quit. Uh, this was the first time he fought. Uh, uh, had to fight through some sort of adversity. So mm-hmm. the big question is, can he come back? Uh, I think he should have been matched up better before the fight, but I think right now he's going to have to be matched up uh, a lot better than. He was because I think now he's in a he's in a position where you don't want him to end up like a guy like Victor Ortiz or something like that, like where he has a serious injury and then he's just gonna keep giving up. It'll be interesting to see what happens. And with Joyce, I think uh, you gotta give him full credit. He won yeah. fair and square, and if he fights 
Usyk, I don't mind. I don't mind seeing that fight. I think that's a good fight. I agree on man. Good stuff, man. I got right, to get running. All right. All right. Have a good night, brother. Right, nice one. All right, you too. All right. Uh, we got a couple more calls here, guys. But before I jump to them, I just want to do quick, quick preview, okay? Because um, I know you guys want to uh, get to this stuff. So uh, we actually have a couple cards this week, some small stuff. Wednesday, December 2nd, ESPN Plus picked up an MTK Global card from Yorkshire. James Dickens fighting Ryan Walsh, 10 rounds featherweights. Thursday, December 3rd, Wild Card Boxing has a card on uh, NBC Sports Network. Serhei Bohachuk was supposed to be on there, but there was uh, the positive COVID test, so that got pushed back, I think, a few weeks. Friday, December 4th, Billy Joe Saunders versus Martin Murray. He's still fighting. In London, on the zone, ugh. Everything we didn't like about um, about uh, Daniel Jacobs and Gabe Rosado, this is pretty much the second version of that. I uh, just Billy Joe Saunders, man, wasted talent, wasted talent. And, and honestly, people call him this elite level fighter based on that one fight against David Lemieux. Sorry, you got to do more than that for me to call you an elite level fighter. His title at 168 is bullshit, paper title. So, uh, yeah, I just, I'm not really interested in that fight if I have time and I have absolutely nothing going else, nothing else going on. I'll check it out. Saturday, December 5th, PBC on Fox pay-per-view at AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas, Errol Spence going up against Danny Garcia. So let me talk about this one real quick and then we'll jump back to the phones. First of all, this should not be pay-per-view, but I told you guys this last year. Errol Spence now, from here on out, on PBC, is a pay-per-view fighter. He will fight twice a year going forward on Fox pay-per-view. The Charlo brothers will fight twice a year going forward on Showtime pay-per-view. Gervonta Davis will fight twice a year going forward on pay-per-view, I think, Showtime. Uh, It's the same thing with Deontay Wilder. He is now a pay-per-view fighter. That is the business plan and the business model over at PBC. That is not me beating up on PBC. That's just the reality, guys. So this fight does not belong on pay-per-view. If it was on regular Fox, I think it could do real numbers. Unfortunately, it's going to be another underperforming pay-per-view. Lackluster undercard here. The Charlo doubleheader was a damn good card, top to bottom. Pretty damn good card. Uh, for a pay-per-view, that was a pretty good value. The Tank Davis versus Leo Santa Cruz pay-per-view had a better undercard than this one. This undercard's pretty weak. I'm not even going to go over the fights. Okay, There's a couple of guys on there that you know. Maybe a couple interesting matchups, but for for the most part, this pay-per-view is pretty shit, okay? Not me hating, just telling the damn truth, okay? Uh, okay, Errol Spence, 26-0, 21 knockouts. Danny Garcia, 36-2 with 21 knockouts. However, most of those knockouts happened at 140, where Danny Garcia was briefly the top dog. He was the legitimate junior welterweight champion, but since he has moved up to welterweight, I just think he's one of these over, slightly overrated guys in that division. Everyone talks about how loaded the welterweight division is, and there's some absolutely some talent there. Okay, the talent at the very top is elite. You got you got Spence, you got Crawford, Pacquiao is borderline elite at this age. But then after that, there's there's a drop off. Okay, and the, the mid level guys are pretty damn good compared to most other divisions. The problem is the top guys are not fighting each other. And I think that this division is overrated by some people, particularly some people in the American boxing press. That's not me beating up on it. It's just me trying to 
drops the reality on it. When you look at all these mostly PBC welterweight fights in recent years, do you see domination? Do you see one guy cleaning everybody out? No. What you see is close competitive fights, which is a good thing, but no one fighter in the PBC welterweight universe is clearly above the rest. We think Spence is the top guy. I believe he is. But he hasn't clearly, clearly separated himself from the pack. And I think we're going to get more of that in this fight. I really, really do. Uh, Danny Garcia, great left hook. I understand. Great left hook. But at welterweight, he has Tyrannosaurus Rex arms. He has T-Rex arms. Now, what Tyrannosaurus Rex. I can't talk anymore. Tyrannosaurus Rex arms. He can't. You have to have some reach to get inside to land that left hook. If you make a guy miss on the inside, you could come up with a hook. He could do that at 140 where the guys were a little shorter, didn't have the same length. But, man, Spence is taller, longer, 5'9", 72-inch reach, and a southpaw. Garcia, 5'8", 60-inch, 68-inch reach, orthodox. So the left hook, yes, it could be there at different times, but he's going to have to make Spence miss with the jab. And Spence, he's going to have to get inside of Spence's jab. I just don't see that happening, man. I see a unanimous decision win for Spence. There is a possibility for a late knockout. Uh, Spence could possibly stop Danny Garcia late in this fight. Absolutely could happen. Maybe he tries to make a statement. Garcia's already one foot out the door with retirement. He's mentally checked out years ago. He's talented enough, and the guys he's been fighting were overrated just enough where he could hang around and go the distance and make it competitive and close, come up just short, enough to where his fans could bitch about the scorecards. That's my gut feel of where this fight will land, but it, there's always that possibility Spence could land something big, hurt Garcia, and get him out of there late. But my official prediction, Spence unanimous decision. Uh, Spence hasn't fought, obviously, since he fought Sean Porter on my brother Anthony's birthday last September 28th. I was actually at that fight, and I saw my brother there. That was wonderful. Um, of course, there was a car accident soon after with Spence, I believe, in October. And he just started sparring again. He hasn't fought in over a year. So there are questions about him. I understand all of that. I don't think Danny Garcia is the guy at this stage of his career, at this weight, in this division, to answer those questions for Spence. I just don't see it. Uh, Garcia last fought in January against Ivan Redcatch. His best win at welterweight, ladies and gentlemen, is a past prime, Pauli Malignaggi in 2015, who himself was coming off a TKO4 loss to Sean Porter and a 14-month layoff. So that is the best win Garcia has at 147. Spence, meanwhile, yes, he beat Kell Brook. Coming off a loss, coming down 14 pounds, over-the-bone surgery, facial reconstruction, but he still went overseas, won that title from Brook. He beat Lamont Peterson, <clears throat> blown up lightweight, moving up in weight past his prime. He beat Mikey Garcia. That fight was what it was. And then Sean Porter, who has improved, but I do think is a tad overrated. I wouldn't call him an elite-level fighter, a damn good one, just not quite elite, at 147. So with Spence, he has a good welterweight resume, but it's not great. It's not great. However, it's still much better than what Danny Garcia has done. Danny Garcia, I talked about him being Pauly. After that, Sam Vargas and Adrian Granados. Those are his best wins at welterweight. So I like this matchup. All things considered for Errol Spence, 
coming off that car injury, the year-plus layoff, the surgery, all those things, this is a great opponent for him, a great comeback opponent. I mean, he could have showed up and fought anybody coming off this injury, and everyone would have forgave him. But now he's at that monetary status where he has to at least fight a name to warrant, quote-unquote, pay-per-view, because he wants to be a pay-per-view fighter from here on out. Once he joined the pay-per-view ranks against Mikey Garcia, he was going to be a pay-per-view fighter for the rest of his career. That's the way the business model is over on his side of the street. So if you're going to fight on pay-per-view, yeah, even you're coming off an injury like that and a year-long layup, you got to fight somebody that boxing fans at least know Danny Garcia is that guy. But people, don't make any mistakes here. This fight, it'd be great if it was on regular Fox. I'd be way more into it. I don't see this as a pay-per-view level fight. I don't know how this is going to trend on pay-per-view. There will be some fans in the house there, which is good. Spence has shown that he can generate fans. He can he can sell tickets. And I, I think it's awesome that he's staying down there in Dallas and continuing to build that brand. And I just, you know, I hope we see the guy that we saw before the car accident. I hope we see a statement performance. I'd love to be proven wrong. I'd love to see Spence go in there and blow out Danny Garcia in four rounds and immediately call out Terrence Crawford and actually mean it. That'd be awesome. I just don't see that happening. All right, let's jump over to the phones real quick. We'll take this call, guys, and then we'll wrap up the show because um, my voice is dying here. 773, you're on the show. Go. My condolences to you and your family. Just Thank you. To tell you that. Thank you. Yep. Um, no problem. Um, what are we talking about? I was talking about the Jake Paul situation because that seemed to steal the show. That was the um, yeah. That was the big headline. That was the talk of the town. Even Mike Tyson and Roy Jones were headlining, and that dude, the YouTuber, got most of the headlines. That seemed to be the talk of the town on Twitter, social media. But um, yeah, the reactions. People were just kind of like they were shocked. They were kind of shocked. Like, oh wait. Hey, Robbins, he's from the hood. He runs fast. He jumps high. No way he's supposed to lose to that guy. He's from the suburbs of Ohio. That's not supposed to happen. The little world, the little bubble got popped, it seemed like. And um, it's funny. It makes me, I didn't want to pull for him. But after seeing the reaction, seeing how hurt some people were, overreaction, just relax, man. It was just a little fun gimmicky fight. And everyone's right. got to get all worked up and make it. More Something than what it not, was. Like, um, some, yeah, it was, like, I know there's some prospects on the undercard, Martinez, Lopez, Estrada, whatever their names are. I'm sorry, but me and 99% of the people don't tune in to watch Martinez, Lopez, Estrada, whatever the hell their name was down there. Yeah, they put on a good, exciting fight, but nobody's tuning in to watch them. And it's, that's just a sad reality, so... People can get all hurt. They butt hurt. All the boxing snobs, you know. Oh, they you're, they shouldn't be making this. Well, they're the one bringing in the money. That's just this is what it is. So that's why they're getting the headlines. That's why they're bringing getting the big paychecks. And that's just the reality of the situation. But kind of touch back on the um, reactions to the fight. Are you surprised? Kind of the oh. I just seen so many. Oh, he should fight this guy. No, I want to see him fight this guy. Run our test. Doesn't fight run our test. <laughs> and um, it's just, come on. Well, why are they so hurt by this Jake Paul dude? Why are I, they so hurt? 
I, I don't know. I think a lot of the people that are hurt come from the same ilk of fans that were hurt over Wilder losing to Fury and stuff. And then, like, it, it shouldn't matter. Those two instances are completely non-comparable. As you stated, this was a circus event. This was a, you know, this was just theater. This was just fun. It was a freak show that you wanted to watch. I'll say this about Jake Paul, man. He, he's been training for, like, I think one year now, like, pretty seriously. Uh, he's taking the sport serious. I know people that have been at the gym with him and talked to him, people in the business. And he, he you know, has said off the record that, like, man, I really want to see how good I can be. I really want to put in the work. And I think, don't quote me on this, but I think both of the Paul brothers played football growing up, so they're used to contact. Uh, they're used to sports and, and responding to coaches and training and things like that. Is this guy ever going to be a world champion? Obviously not. But if somebody like Nate Robinson, who again, I had no idea who the hell this guy was before this fight, wants to call him out and talk some shit and, and Jake Paul decides he wants to fight him. Okay, cool. And, and you put that on the undercard of, of Tyson Jones, which was a freak show to start with. And um, it, it generates some excitement, some, some financial revenue for the card. It brings some young eyes to boxing. Cool. Look, the first time they did the YouTube card on the zone, I was being one of those boxing snobs. I said, what the hell is this shit? But I have since learned that I've seen some of the reports. I've had some network executive people say, hey, Mike, check this shit out for your eyes only, but check this shit out. And I've seen some of the numbers and I'm like, okay, I get it now. It is what it is. It, my thing is, dude, if it's one thing if some guy on YouTube trains for a month and says, I'm going to be a boxer, but at least some of these guys are taking it real serious. They're training full time. Like they're living like real fighters. They're not going out there uh, smoking and drinking and getting fat between fights. So I give the guy credit. Do I want to see Jake Paul fight a real boxer? Like, you know, let's say he got in there with the Charlo brothers. He get butt fucked in 10 seconds. Let's be honest. I don't want to see that. But if he wants to fight some NBA guy or some NFL guy or another YouTube guy who's taking it seriously and wants to come in and show up in shape, cool, I'll watch it. Why the hell not? There's a lot of gimmicky fights you can make, man. A lot of interest. Him versus um the KSI dude in England. You could do the Dylan Damage situation, the Ben Askren MMA fighter. There's a lot of gimmicks to be done, and not everything has to be totally by the book. There's plenty. There's always going to be room for the um the Fury versus Joshua. It's not. That's not going anywhere. There's going to be millions of people that tune in when that fight happens. There's, there's plenty of room for the Triple G versus Canelo, things like that. But in the meantime, I have no problem with it. I just think um, what bothers me is the reaction, the kind of the tribalism, the it's the unfortunate, man, but that comes with. That's where we are in 2020. You no, know it's coming. That's where we are. Yeah, what are you going to do? Yep. All right, I'll leave you to it. Thanks, take my call. All right, brother. Have a good one. Yep. All right, guys. Uh, I saw. I wanted to get to this one comment from Chris Bergen. Uh, Because I I agree. He said, I have no problem with these YouTubers fighting as long as it's not the main event. Boxing is a niche sport, so it's good that these guys are bringing money and new eyes to the sport. I agree. This wasn't the main event. Mike Tyson and and Roy Jones had the main event. And this Jake Paul, Nate Robinson thing. Again, I don't know how many times I have to repeat this. I couldn't give a damn about this fight. I have no idea who these people were until a, a few days ago. Well, I knew Jake Paul, but I just learned about him like a year ago. 
but seeing what it generated and, and look, man, that knockout, that big, that was a, that, guys, I don't shoot the messenger. That was a knockout of the year candidate. That's probably in the top dozen knockouts we've seen in 2020. Don't shoot the messenger, but it was. And it guess what? It was trending on social media. You guys have seen all the memes. Some of them are absolutely hilarious. The, the best one was uh, the Boys in the Hood one where he gets shot and drop it. There's a bunch of great ones. And, you know, I feel bad somewhat for Nate Robinson because, look, have fun for a couple days and then let it go. But he apparently was the one talking shit and calling out Jake Paul. So it's hard to feel bad for him when you're the guy that was looking for that. So sometimes you got to be careful what you wish for. But it's not like this was the main event. Like that one DAZN event, like that to me was a little disrespectful. This, I really didn't have a problem with it. And when you saw the improvement of Jake Paul, uh, a guy who just got to boxing like a year ago, beating a professional athlete who made millions of dollars in the National Basketball Association, a three-time slam dunk contest winner, that's a big deal. What does that show us? That shows us that training and skills and all that matter way more than being quote-unquote athletic. And I've been hearing for two decades now from a lot of American sports writers, oh, the best American boxers, particularly the best American heavyweights, are in the NBA and the NFL. While it's true that I think some of them are in the NFL, none of them are in the NBA. Come on, guys. Just the skill set, not applicable. All right. So anyway, I'm going to leave it at that. Uh, It's good to be back. And we'll be back next Monday to, uh, to review Billy Joe Saunders fight week. Just kidding. To review uh, Spence versus Garcia. Um, I, I do think that'll be a fun, entertaining fight. It just don't belong on pay-per-view. Thanks again, guys, for all the support and for putting up with my, uh, my raspy voice. <laughs> it should be better next uh, Monday. So, all right, guys, have a good week. Take care of each other. Love you guys. I'll see you at the fights.